From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Happy birthday to you. Oh. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Mary Beth. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Mary Beth. It's your birthday today. It is my birthday today. Thank you. I wow. mean, it will be in two days, but Shh. illusions. It's fine. It's my golden <laughs> birthday. I'm 28 on the 28th. Uh, why do I keep thinking that you already are 28? So now I'm feeling even more older because you are now turning 28. Turning as opposed 28. to when I was thinking you were 28 for the longest Very time. Very big difference between 27 uh, and 28. There, I mean, there is. There's a whole year. No. <laughs> well, and welcome back, the rest of you, to, <laughs> to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into the things that we've been watching and reading recently. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth, the birthday girl. <laughs> this week, Yay! we are talking about some zombies, a not-so-good movie, a gothic novel, a new French claustrophobic... 
wow, a new French claustrophobic thriller. And then we're chainsawing our way through another odds remake. <laughs> <laughs> I love our individual choices <laughs> for <laughs> noise. Also, no one can see it, but like I had a weird like hand motion, like I was shaking something. Like that's how you hold a chainsaw. Obviously, oh, I, I know chainsaws work. I appreciated that. <laughs> <laughs> so before we do kind of get to that, though, I I'm curious have you have you seen the the Last Night in Soho trailer? I have. What do you think? I'm curious. I, the Giallo vibes were like, especially because this year, I'm like, I know what Giallo is now. I can see <laughs> Look, it's like that Leonardo DiCaprio meme where it's like pointing. I I am excited. I mean, I Edgar Wright is really, I love his movies and it feels like his mm-hmm. style is so eclectic. And he did Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And that was like really colorful. I am excited to see this more horror, not horror comedy and like full on kind of psychological creepiness and anya taylor joy is a goddess so love her yeah you know i've i'm 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 really excited for it simply because uh every time he's tackled like a genre he does it in such an interesting way from like the zombies to to doing like i i consider um hot fuzz a a slasher film was his kind of take on slasher films and then you know the world's end on like aliens and Scott Pilgrim comic books and Baby Driver a heist film. I have loved every one of his films and they've been unique. And so I'm I'm really curious to see what he what he does with this sort of like psychological thriller slash, as you said, Giallo. There's definite vibes there. Well, and then he did the Sparks Brothers documentary, which I haven't seen, but I've seen clips. I and I know either. it's like a, his play on a documentary. So there's like stop motion animation and it's mm. like a little bit sillier. And so it's definitely his unique take on that. So like you said, I'm excited because I'm he has such like a distinct voice in the mm-hmm. movies he makes. So I'm pumped. And I just thought I want to see him succeed. I, I just right? I think I love him. <laughs> well, and someone was like, it looks like Perfect Blue. And have you seen Perfect Blue by Satoshi Kon? Okay. It's one of my favorite movies. It is amazing. And people were it's like It's anime, right? Yes. And people were like, It's copying from Perfect Blue. I'm like, I don't see anything wrong with that. <laughs> like, I want more vibes like Perfect Blue. So I'm excited you know, if it's like perfect because like that movie is great and really fucked up. So like if he's going to make a weird fucked up movie, then like, hell yeah. As we've seen in this podcast, every movie pulls from other movies and builds on things that come before. So if it's taking from Perfect View, Perfect Blue, more power to it. You're pulling from a great source. I'd rather them take from Perfect Blue than something terrible, you know? Exactly. And it's like people get inspired and they make their own thing. Right. Like you can you can take inspiration from things and still... <laughs> Quentin Tarantino's made a career of that. Right. Exactly. So it's like, I don't know why we're complaining. But then again, it's like Twitter and people... The internet loves to complain. complain. And so, well, we will see when it comes out. But it looks so beautiful and so weird, and I'm already mm. very intrigued about the whole thing. So, yeah, me too. And I'm glad that the trailer doesn't seem to give a whole lot away because I'm still like, I don't know what is going on, mm-hmm. but I am enthralled. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Oh God, fuck! I'm just okay. so fucking excited because it's summer. Like things are gonna come out in theaters, and I can go to a movie theater. I'm just like, I know. I'm going to a movie theater um today on my birthday when we're, like not when we're recording this, but I'm gonna go see a Quiet Place too. 
like the middle of the day by myself. I'm seeing it Saturday. Oh my god, I'm by myself and I'm so like I ha- like my favorite activity is going to a movie by myself in the middle of the day and I'm doing that on my birthday and I may cry or just get really emotional. So I'm just the movies are back, <sighs> baby. I know. I'm so excited. And I I also love going to see movies by myself. Like I used to not like it. I used to think that I was going to be like that weird person sitting alone, but, and I had anxiety surrounded that, but like, I'll tell you what I love, especially like on a Friday, taking some time off work and going to just see a movie and grabbing a beer and just enjoying a movie by myself. It's I love the it. fucking best. That's how I saw hereditary for the second time. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's funny because I was about ready to just say self care, and then he's like, "I saw anything like that." I'm like, "That movie, I don't consider self care." Well, the second time, I already like kind of yeah. knew what was going to happen, so it wasn't as bad. But still, <laughs> okay. I want to hear about these zombies because I think I know what it is, but I want to. I'm curious. Okay, so I watched Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead on Netflix on Friday. Did you love? I really liked it. I, it's, oh my God, it's so fucking stupid. Like it's like the the story (laughs) is, hold on, let me start from the beginning because the very opening scene is indicative of the movie. And it's, if you don't like the beginning, then like, you're not going to like the movie. So the movie starts with a newlywed couple who just got married in Las Vegas. They're like super pumped. They're like, yay, we're married. Um, (laughs) and it's intercut with a giant um, like caravan of like military vehicles carrying some kind of payload. So she leans over <laughs> and starts giving her new husband a blowjob, just a little broadhead okay. to celebrate, you know. And as you do, you know, he's getting a blowjob, so he like leans his head back and is feeling it while driving a car. And as you could probably that sounds ex- safe. <laughs> as you can probably expect. Um, in his ecstasy, he crashes into the army vehicle and releases the payload, which is a fucking crazy zombie that is really fast and like is intelligent. And then that's how Las Vegas is just like absolutely lost to zombies. So they're only in oh. Las Vegas, like a walled off quarantine area. So that's the beginning of the movie. So that vibe doesn't tell you what the movie's going to be, then I don't know what to tell you. Like, I was dying. I thought it was so funny. Like, it's so stupid, but I think it's hysterical. And then from there, it becomes a heist movie. It doesn't make a lot of sense, like, the concept. (laughs) But damn if Zack Snyder is not good at creating these really massive, colorful, cool set pieces and really going all out with lore like there's lore to this movie like the zombie who escaped is an alpha zombie and he's made a whole army of like intelligent like sentient zombies and they have sex and that's weird that there's zombie sex it's not shown but like one of them is pregnant so obviously that means they fuck wow you gotta you gotta love it it's just so ridiculous and the women in this movie are so fucking good like they're the best like they're my favorite like dave batiste is good but the women mm-hmm. oh they're such bad bitches so i was so glad that tig got re- uh, cast for the the recast <laughs> she is so fucking funny like she is I love so her. good and i i also love her so i think it's a lot of fun it's it's two and a half hours long so it is long mm-hmm. but 
it moved by pretty quickly. Like it's pretty action filled, so it's not gonna feel like a total slog. So I had a great time watching it. And honestly, I like Zack Snyder's some of his stuff. Like not one of those like crazy people, but like I liked Sucker Punch. I liked Watchmen. I liked three hundred. Have you seen Dawn of the Dead? No, I haven't. I need to see that one. Ooh, we should watch that for our remakes. Oh <gasps> yes. But yeah, like I think he makes big, dumb, fun movies. My big complaint about his films is his reliance on slow motion. Yeah, this one had some weird moments where it was like, I think you've, I've, like on Twitter, people were saying it looks like it was shot in portrait mode. Like this person in the in like the foreground is like in hyper focus, and everything behind them is blurred, which is a really weird choice in the middle of like a crazy action sequence when like you're supposed to be focused, like seeing the whole scope of everything. And it happened a lot, so it was like a very weird technique. And there were also a lot of his, like, weird-ass needle drops. <laughs> like, with the co- weird covers of songs. Mm-hmm. So it was very, it was a very Zack Snyder movie. But, like, I love that style. Because I know, I know what to expect. I'm excited to watch it. Uh, I meant to watch it this last weekend. Um, I just didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to. And I was like, I just, I, every time I sat down to watch it, it was like late at night. And then I was like, uh, two and a, like two and however yeah, many hours. It's a daunting like, runtime. But I, I did have to review it. So that kind of gave me an extra kick in the ass to watch it. But I'm glad of I course. Steve wanted to watch it. <laughs> it was a great time. Um, so, okay. What is this gothic novel? I'm very excited to hear about this novel. Yeah. So, um, a lot of people have been talking about this particular book and, um, I got it for Christmas and I've been wanting to read it. And since, um, I'm back at work and everything is like shut down at work in terms of things that I can like watch and read on the internet, I've been using lunch to read a book and I had just finished Stephen King, um, for a podcast appearance. It's going to be coming out sometime in June. Um, and I was like, I want to keep this train going. So I brought with me Mexican Gothic (gasps) by, um, Sylvia Moreno Garcia. Um, and I read that in a matter of like three or four lunches. I went a little over on one of my two lunches, but I'm reading a book. It's more important than my job. Girl, seriously. <laughs> um, no, this this book is as good as everyone has been talking about. Um, it is about it's set in 1950s and it's about Noemi, I think is how you pronounce her name. Um, I apologize if that's not. Um, but it's about this woman named Noemi who is kind of a debutante, uh, rich society girl living in Mexico City. And her uh, cousin Catalina had married this man named Virgil and had absconded to this manor in like the rural area called High Pass. And it is your, if you think, gothic manor, this is what you get. It has its own graveyard. It has like it, the, it doesn't have any electricity. And so everyone walks around with, um, you know, little lamps and Can- stuff. Candles, single lit candles, yes, candles, candelabras Candelab. and lamps and like oil lamps and everything. They were a rich family at one point. They were white, a white culture that came in from England to this place to open up a silver mine here. Bad shit happened in the mine and it ended up closing. And now years later, the whole house is in disrepair. There's mold in the, in the place. Like when she's ghost goes to it to visit her, 
<laughs> when she goes there to visit her cousin, because her because the impetus of it is that her cousin has sent her has sent her father, um, Noemi's father, a letter saying weird things about how the house won't let her leave and her husband doesn't want her to go and like there's she's seeing things. <gasps> oh my things. god, it's so gothic. It's such it's, it's so, so oh gothic. my god, it's so Bronte. Yes. But like not and white. This, but like not yes. white. And what it does is it actually takes like I was starting to think about the gothic novel as or the gothic story as a whole about in, in some ways it is about colonialism and it's about exceptionalism because it's tip <laughs> What the fuck was that? that? That was my parents' cat. <gasps> I didn't know they had a fucking cat, Terry. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> I was like, there's some fucking demon. What is ha- I was like, is your mom okay? Like, I was like like 6,000 things popped into my head. I'm like, they were all scary, but there's a cat. <laughs> I've never heard that cat make a goddamn sound. That's why I was like... Anyway. No, he doesn't usually come up here. <laughs> um. <laughs> it's your turn to have the cat meowing in the background. <laughs> oh my gosh. I lost my train of thought of where I was at. Um, you're, ta- you're talking about the gothic novel, like you were thinking about the gothic novel oh, yes. in relation to this. I was thinking about the gothic novel in relation to kind of either like exceptionalism or um, colonialism, because it's typically like a family that wants to keep their bloodline pure and they're hiding away from society. And so there's like there's definite there's definite uh, colonialism and exceptionalism tropes built into the story. And this uses it in such a fascinating way. And I mean, I. I don't want to really kind of talk about where the story goes because I think part of the fun is is kind of exploring what it's going to do and how it kind of turns the novel on its head. But she ends up going there and, you know, she's re- forced into the society where they're very um, – no one talks. No one, no one like has like communications during dinner. Everything is very silent. Everything is very strict in terms of controlling whereas she is like this – debutante that's used to having attention and lavish colors and everything. And so she's dealing with that as well as trying to figure out what is wrong with her cousin Catalina. And I was enthralled from this. I just, it was a page turner for me. I think this book is fantastic. I'm glad it was picked up for a Hulu show. I'm really excited to see. I forgot. I'm really excited to see what they end up doing with it. I think we're probably a little bit of ways out from that because I don't even think they've cast it yet, but I'm really, this, this book was great. I heartily recommend it. So, okay, you talked about people coming over from England. Are all of the characters Mexican or are some of them white? Or is it like a lot of or is it like discussing that kind of? Yeah, the family that well, the family that Catalina marries into is is white oh, and they're white. from England. Okay, okay. And okay. everything is very prim and proper and very white. And so you have this white family that has moved into Mexico to basically sort of what's the word I'm looking for? It, it, um, Colonize? <laughs> technically colonizing in the 50s but like gentrify take over well they're sort of like taking advantage of Um, the fact that there's a silver mine here so they you know have hired mexican workers that all died in the mine like there's definite vibes here of colonialism and then they fall in disrepair and of course it's it's this country's fault that they have fallen into disrepair so so there's like definite there's definite themes here being explored in such an interesting way um, I mean, it's creepy. Creepy. There's some really vivid uh, dream sequences. 
Cool. Oh my gosh. I'm looking it up right now. I'm like ready to buy it. I've heard like such good things about it. Like it's mostly just like my own fault that I haven't read it. It looks so good. Now that you've talked about it, it sounds like even more something that I need to read immediately. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay. So what is this not so good movie? Seance. (laughs) It's a bring up seance. (laughs) Because, okay. So so seance is a movie directed by Simon Barrett who has done work on like your next he he's written them i believe and vhs he wrote your next and the, the guest. guest so like obviously he's got like a he's got some good credits to his name so there was like a lot of excitement about this movie it looked kind of creepy it's about a boarding school and bringing something bringing a ghost back from the dead and like girls getting killed off slasher creepy slasher paranormal vibes it's like the most boring thing i've ever seen and it ends and it's ending it, it like even it's bonkers ass ending like could not save nope the boringness of it and the queer baiting boo oh dear boo Girl, boo, the queer boo, baiting boo. In this. i was so mad suki waterhouse is the main person is phenomenal she does give a phenomenal She's performance great. but the pacing is bizarre it it feels like it's it feels like a cw television show like that's what i kept thinking yes. it felt like gossip girl or vampire diaries like the dialogue was so am I don't, amateur is it i don't know if amateur is the right word but it, like it was just it was written by someone who i don't think knew how teenage girls talk to each other and kind of just made it like stereotype bitches and mean girls everyone was just mean like i, there, I didn't feel like any of the characters had any real character to them no they were all like stereotypes i feel like like Suki Waterhouse's character was like the shy girl, like the, not the shy, but like the mysterious girl that came in. And then there's like the nerdy, quiet girl. And then there's like the group of bit of mean girl bitches who like have a ringleader and a nerdy, smart one. Like this, it's all about the token minority character. And it, it like what bummed me out so much was like there was some potential. Like I could feel the potential in this movie. Like it was right there, but. So I think what I don't like it even more because I was so disappointed because like you could really see that there was something cool here, but it's just executed so poorly. The ending is rad, but it's also very weird. Like a lot of things happen very quickly and you're like, where was this? Where was any of of this? Like it's like it goes from like a slow, bitchy teenage drama to like kind of a gory, weird revenge tale and um i don't recommend it sorry everybody sorry simon barrett but i know when i was rooting for him i I, I like i'm always excited when a writer go gets his first like directorial debut and i'm like right i just am pushing for you and i i really enjoyed his the work that he's done even the the blair witch movie that he wrote okay no slander on the blair witch movie in this house (laughs) i liked it oh good okay i was like no, I liked That's it. That's right, you do. It's like 2016 Blair Witch is actually decent. All the, I to all the haters, agree. to all the haters out there. I loved it. I thought it was really good. I need to rewatch. I do too. I've been meaning to for forever. <laughs> um, but okay. So you also watched a French claustrophobic thriller, and I think I know what it is. While you were watching, um the Zack Snyder movie, I was watching the new Alexander Aja movie this weekend, Oxygen, which I love. <gasps> I love so much. Oh my God. Um, I've heard such good things. About, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's so 
it's so interesting and it goes in places that um i mean okay i kind of figured out broad strokes of what the movie was doing but then it does enough twisting that i started to to doubt myself so that by the time the reveals happened i was like oh yeah i did think that that was where it's going to go but i didn't feel cheated by it and normally if i can guess a movie i sometimes will feel cheated by it but i did not feel cheated by this one it felt authentic and what it's about is that this woman she wakes up in a cryogenic chamber she has amnesia she doesn't know where she's at it's this high-tech thing with like there's this voice um this computer voice called milo that talks to her uh and she's trying to figure out how to get out because the first thing the thing that the reason why she's awakened is that it's at 35% oxygen and so she has a time limit and by the time that that's out you know she's dead and so she's trying to figure out a where she's at b how to get help and c how to get out of this thing and the way it uses that small space where we spend 99% of the movie in that small container there's a couple flashbacks as she starts to piece together some of her memories um, and by the way, the amnesia makes sense in this, which I loved. I was oh, like, good. Oh, great. You know, no. I don't know what, why, where I'm at. No, it actually makes sense. And there's a couple movies that I'd love to compare this to, but by doing so, I would completely spoil some of the twists in it. So I can't. Okay. But this movie, what I love about this is that it's so restrained for Alexandra Asha and it shows that he is more than just relying on shock violence. There is one jump scare in this entire movie slash burst of violence, a gore, but the rest of it is literally just this intense claustrophobic experience that is also tied to a really well-written story by a woman named Christy LeBlanc. And Fuck yeah. I just, I, I think this movie is, is the bomb. I loved it oh so God. fucking much. And it's Melanie Laurent. Is she by herself the whole time? Besides the voice? She is. But it's just her? Besides... Yeah, besides the voice of Milo and a couple flashbacks where you kind of see who she was before she got into this situation. Okay. Um, and she is, she's phenomenal in this. Like, it requires so much of her and she just, mm, so great. Cool. I'm so, so excited great. to watch it. That one's been on my radar. Um, and now that you've given it such a glowing recommendation, Aja is like, I don't care. I love his stuff. And it's so cool to hear I that he's too. doing stuff besides like shock value and gore. Cause he's good. He's so good at that, but I really, it's really cool to see him branching out and it's French language. It's French language, right? Mm-hmm. Cool. So now that we're done with that kind of stuff, let's go through our odds remake and <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 2003 with Jessica Biel, my wife. That's my wife. <laughs> um, so had you you had seen this one before, right? But it's been a while. So it's so funny because I had I've seen this before at like oh like a Halloween movie marathon I had with my friends, and I remember the only part I had initially remembered was the shot through the hole in the woman's head. Which is I mean, that's cinema. A- that is fucking cinema. But then as, that is a perfect moment. As things started happening, like things like kills and stuff started happening, it it sort of came back to me a little bit. So but yeah, I saw it in high school. I think it freaked me out too much. It was too gory. Again, before I was like kind of interested in gore or like didn't really mind gore. I think it kind of freaked me out. But yeah. And you'd you had seen it before, right, too? 
Yeah, I saw it in movie theaters. I remember, I, in particular, I remember the the trailers leading up to it, and I was so excited to see this movie. And because the the trailer that they had released was um pretty intense, and I guess they had, they had decided not to release, or the MPA had had disallowed them to release this really fucked up trailer, which is all in black. It was like a complete black screen, and it's just the sounds of like people screaming and the chainsaw revving, and it was so intense that the MPA said, no, you can't play this. And I would have loved to have seen that in a, in a movie theater. Cause just watching it on, I watched it on my phone and just watching that it was like, Ooh, this would have been amazing. in like a, a theater where it's all complete darkness. Cause it is literally a black screen. And then you just hear the sounds of horror. But I yeah, I was that. excited to watch this movie. Uh, I've revisited a couple times since then. I don't know if it holds up for me. <laughs> oh, I really liked it. <laughs> yeah. I had such a good time I mean, with it. most people do. I, I, I did too. I really, really, really enjoyed it more than I expected. I was like, wait, fuck. This is actually really fun. And like Jessica Biel is a final girl. I was like. Oh, she's good. She's not given enough credit. Like her screaming. No. When they finally show Leatherface, when he bursts out of that door and revs the chainsaw, I was like, yeah, I thought it was such a cool way to reveal him. I was iconic. like, iconic. So what, what doesn't, what doesn't like hold up for you? I was really enjoying myself up until the, the kind of climax final act. Uh, I, I don't know the, the protracted running, um, through set piece to set piece I, I was kind of i don't know i was kind of exhausted by that time like okay. not in a good way exhausted mm, i was just like that's true okay I, and i don't know why because like i remember watching the movie theater being completely enthralled and the last time i watched this movie i was seeming i was also just really in, really down with what it was selling but this time i was like i actually was skipping a couple bits no like, way I was like, okay. yeah it just wasn't doing it for me and i don't i don't i don't know why if i I don't know, but I loved, I, okay. I love the way this, this thing gets set up from the moment that the, the hitchhiker shoots herself and that camera move to them going to the, the kind of creepy, uh, side roadside, like, uh, diner gas station thing to the moment that her boyfriend, um, what's his name? Kemper gets like his head bashed in, like just out of nowhere, like there's the big force in his back and he just hits him on the head to that, that door slamming open and, and him coming out with the chest. Like all of those were working perfectly for me. I just, I don't know when it, when it got to that final bit, I was ready for it to be over. I, I felt similarly, similarly, but not in like, I was bored, but more in like a Jesus fucking Christ. I'm so tired. Like, I just want (laughs) to like when the truck pulled over at, at the end, the truck pulls over again. I was like, for the love of Christ, like, just let it go. And <laughs> so that I get what you mean. But I also I was more of a like, a, I'm just I'm so stressed. Like, I'm done. I'm so tired. But this movie is so dirty. Like, oh. it is disgusting. Like, it's sweaty. But it's not just sweat. Like, this is one of those movies that you can smell. Another one of those movies that you're mm -hmm. like, that house has to smell so fucking disgusting. Like, there's just pigs. Okay, there's pigs everywhere, which is cute, but they're probably shitting everywhere. There's dead things. There's Mm -hmm. people's skin downstairs. Someone's flesh is rotting off. Like, 
I so I, I love the little set dressing that this movie does where you have that that old man where he's like, you know, don't don't, you know, scrap your feet, scrap your feet off because I don't I, I need to keep a clean house. And then once we start to see the house, there are literally pigs walking through and there's strips of flesh hanging from the ceiling, drying along with pantyhose like that. It was little moments like that where it's like they're in the kitchen and there's all this flesh hanging there. And then there's just a pair of pantyhose hanging, like drying along with all the, the flesh that's that's drying out. And I was like, the moments like this, I absolutely adored. Right? Like, it's like that attention to detail. That's really cool that you can tell, like, someone really was pouring love into it and was trying to create something that was a really great homage to the original, but also felt like its own thing, which I think is what I liked about this movie. Like, obviously, it's a remake, but I think enough has changed and elaborated on that it feels a little bit, like, unique. And it wasn't trying to completely retread old ground because you can't remake. You, you can't – nothing is like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original. Like, literally nothing touches it. And this one didn't scare me as much as, like, it did – because, like, the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre made me sick – like it freaked me out so much and made me nauseous. This one, I had a good time, but it didn't. Ha- I didn't get that same emotional reaction, um, which is fine. I I liked it for what it was, but I'm I'm kind of glad it leaned into that and wasn't trying to like replicate that that thing and leaned into its own kind of like a modern vibe that was full of really <laughs> fucked up gore and kills. What I also really appreciate about this was I, I this might be the only time this has ever happened, but you have the cinematographer who filmed the original one and then filmed this one. No way. It's the same cinematographer. So you have a person That's that rad. did the 1974 cinematography for, uh, you know, Toby Hopper's movie and then is brought back to be the cinematographer for its remake. Has that ever happened before? I don't think it has, but it's amazing. That's cool. That is so fucking cool. And like, that also is kind of rad that someone who worked on the original was like, yeah, I'll be involved. Like, I just think that's neat. And it looks good. Like, I think it looks good. Um, I, oh, it does. The thing I was thinking, one of like the very small things I was thinking about was how much I hate meat hooks and how every time there's a movie where someone is put on a meat hook, all I want to do is just like cringe because it, uh-huh. like, you don't die. You're just like hanging on a meat hook with your body weight pulling you down. And like, this happened in Resident Evil Village too. Mm-hmm. Like I always, I'm think, I think I was thinking about that. But like, there's the moment where the guy on the meat hook says for for Jessica Biel's character to kill him, mm-hmm. and she does, and he looks like Jesus on the cross, and she's mm-hmm. at his feet, like bathing in his blood. And I was like, I know this is obvious, but this is pretty fucking cool. <laughs> like, obviously. <laughs> We all know, but it was kind of cool. Like just seeing it like that. And I don't know. I just thought it was a cool image. This movie is also just, you kind of touched on this, but it's so sweaty. Oh my God. It's like, so sweaty. And Mike Vogel is so fucking hot. No, like, like literally he's, I think he's more sweat than a human being in this movie. He just like is just a walking ball of, of sweat. It's, it's, he, he's a very attractive man, but he is so kind of grungy and gross looking in this movie that i'm just like i mean i'm kind of here for it but it's also like that this movie is so hot it's just it replicates that feeling of that original in such an interesting way i think i think it has one of my favorite opening scenes like the whole thing with the hitchhiker and the pot pinata 
I wrote down, I want a pot pinata at my birthday. I just, I thought it was such an interesting way to establish the character is like, they don't get a lot of definition in this movie because it's a slasher, but like you kind of get a little Mm -hmm. bit of that. And then the weird, the couple making out constantly, which I don't understand why that's such a big thing in the 2000s of having the couple basically fucking in front of their friends. And I'm like, I made out with my boyfriends in dark basements next to friends, which is weird, but like, I didn't like try to fuck someone next to my friend in the car. (laughs) Like, right. But right. I just think that whole establishing with like picking up the hitchhiker and she just pulls the gun out of her vagina. It's just so wild. It's so crazy that like I I can't help but love it. Yeah. Same. I you know, and kind of going back to um connections to the original, I also love that they brought back John Larroquette to do the narration because he narrated the original. Yes! That was his first it was his first movie uh, role was that narrator voice. And so he's brought back on here. They bring back the cinematographer. They're obviously playfully, you know, teasing with the way things played out in that, in that original one in, in interesting ways. I do think to the detriment that sometimes I feel that this movie uses a shorthand so that if you don't know the story that it's based on, you might not pick up on some things. Like, I don't think they even really typically, not that much address the, the cannibalism part of this movie at all. Yeah, you definitely didn't get cannibalism. You Like, they had, like, when they showed the meat and then went to the meat factory, you kind of had that, like, connection. But it was mostly, like, him skinning and wearing people's skin. It didn't mm-hmm. really touch on them actually eating the bodies. I mean, you can imply, if, especially if you have familiarity with the source material, but I, I do wonder if you, that there's a lot of things that I feel that are stripped out from that original one that, um, it does feel almost like a greatest hits in some ways as okay. it, it, to be, to be honest for me, it feels sort of like a kind of, I guess a greatest hits like exploration of some of the big moments of that film. And I don't think that it might, I think it, I do think it kind of lacks the complexity that the original has. I know a yeah. lot of people, a lot of people really appreciate this remake. And, so, and I, I, th- I do think I was thinking about this because I think if you were of a certain age and you saw this movie, sort of like how I watched the, um, the thing, the, uh, the fly and the blob when I was a young kid and those became my like go-to remakes. I can see how this movie, if you are of a certain age and you saw this film at a certain age, that this would be as big to you as those movies were to me. And I think that's phenomenal. Yeah, I think even though I don't remember a lot of it, I think I remember being really excited to watch the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake because, again, like that was what I was like excited for. So that that makes sense as to why it has like a special place mm-hmm. to me. Because I know a lot of people that um, are around your age or younger that saw this that saw this film, and some people actually think it's better than the original. And I I disagree. Yeah, but I can kind of see how this movie would be as big of like a a hit to them as, as the blob was to me, because I, I do think my, my trilogy of remakes in the eighties are better than this, their source material. So I can see how some people, if this hit at the right time yeah. could say that I don't personally see it, <laughs> but I think this movie, I think this movie is good. I agree. I don't, I don't think it's better than the original, but I don't think anything can really top the experience my experience with the original also something i noticed is that this is resident evil 7 took like everything from this movie i swear to god oh yeah like obviously a texas chainsaw massacre the og but this one particularly like with the settings and the characters like and the trailer like it was i was just like oh yeah i did this and i played resident evil 7 i just thought that was kind of like Mm -hmm. they just took it and (laughs) 
over here. <laughs> yep. So moved it to Louisiana. Also, they were going to a Leonard Skinner concert. I think that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Play some Freebird. Oh my god. I could just talk. Okay, we need to stop because I have like I could talk about this movie, which is so funny that I liked this movie so much, but it's just like oh, it's fascinating. But anyway, yeah. Someone bring Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003 onto the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so we can talk about yes, Jess- let's do deep dive so we can talk about it. Jessica Biel for an hour and a half. I, I mean, I feel like this this movie would be one that that uh, again, kids of of certain age would would hit hard for them. So, absolutely, who who got terrified by this movie? Let's dig deep into it. Also, someone just needs to bring Texas Chance on Massacre in general to the podcast. Uh, hello, that's another one like Alien last week. I'm just like, how how have we not talked about it yet? <laughs> All right, so <laughs> who are we talking to on Monday, Mary Beth? Oh my goodness! So this Monday, upcoming Monday, we are talking to director Pat Mills and writer Allison Richards of the new lesbian slasher, The Retreat, and we are talking about the original 1980 Friday the Thirteenth. Heck yeah, we are! I know. It's so funny and that we, you know, we looked at Friday the Thirteenth Part Two before we looked at Friday <laughs> the Thirteenth. I mean, that's kind of the fun part of this podcast is that's that you know true. we just sort of watch things out of order. It's whatever people bring in. So, yeah, no, I, I I'm excited to that we are we're able to finally watch this one uh, and talk about it. Uh, Pat Mills and Allison, they're they're great. They're queer horror film. I we need more queer horror. The Retreat, it's out playing. We both really enjoyed it. It's really good. Um, it's been, I've, I've seen some conflicting like reviews for it, but for me and for Mary Beth, I've, I think it's great. I agree. I enjoyed yeah. it. It definitely I was is. Vibing. Um, I was vibing. Um, and so what are we watching next week for Little Cuts? For Little Cuts, we're making a double feature of Friday the 13th because we're going to talk about the 2009 remake, Friday the 13th. And I haven't seen this one, I don't think, since the movie theater. So I'm excited to visit it. And you you have not seen this Mm -hmm. one, right? Is it decent? I remember, yes. There are a lot of titties in it. Yes, there's a lot of titties. I I think (laughs) the opening, like cold open, is... mm, Hell yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay, I just like want to, like as a recap of the odds things we've watched, most of them have been actually pretty fucking good. Yeah, like like the odds really do have a bad reputation. Mm-hmm. They're really not bad. Like you no. know, there's some some stinkers, but that there's stinkers every decade. Like there's always stinkers. I think a lot of times, like we're, I mean, we're kind of hitting the big ones. I mean, if you look at some of the the ones that don't necessarily work out so well, like um, when a stranger calls, and some of the oh other God, ones where it was just sort of movie. like. It feels like kind of scraping the barrel to keep that remake thing going. I do think that there are some that definitely live up to that that moniker of being terrible remakes. But no, the ones we've watched oh, so yeah. far, outside of Black Xmas, they've been pretty good. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm so glad we've been doing this because it really has been fun to watch them and really just reminisce on the style of the 2000s. Anyway, <laughs> listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. Did you watch a film that we watched this week and have thoughts? Do you have suggestions for movies for us to talk about? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to, forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast.
And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. Make sure to wish Mary Beth a happy birthday. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.